I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. Last week, Audi announced it was getting to the electric sports car market with the e-tron GT. Now, not wanting to be outdone, Jaguar, maker of the popular iPace, has announced it will become a completely electric-only car brand going forward, while its sister company, Land Rover, will offer an electric version of all its brand within the decade. Pocket editor Chris Hall is here to give us all the details. Meanwhile, I talked to the man responsible for strategy and innovation at Schneider Electric on the future of powering our homes. And Pogolint's Cam Bunton is here to talk about the Sony Alpha A7S 3 It's the company's latest full-frame digital camera and promises plenty, but does it deliver? Keep listening to find out. But first, back to you, Chris. Tell us more about the new JLR announcements. There's a certain degree of inevitability to this announcement, I think, with everybody trying to gear up towards producing more electric cars. We knew this kind of thing was going to be happening. But Jaguar has now gone the whole way and said that all of their cars are going to be electric only. That means there's going to be no hybrids. There's going to be no combustion engines left. And that's it's quite a big move for a car brand that is so associated with motorsports and motoring from the past century. To be, to be moving over to electric only is a big deal. Um, Exactly what that lineup of cars will look like, we don't really know. They have said that they're going to keep a lot of the current nameplates. They have excluded the Jaguar XJ, which had been um, up for replacements. They've now scrapped the replacement that they were looking at so that they can figure out exactly what they're going to do with it. So a lot of change, and it's all going to happen very quickly. Yeah, because I suppose for Jaguar, before we come on to the Land Rover stuff, for Jaguar, you know, you've got the F-Pace, which is obviously their 4x4 range. You've got, you know the xj the xr you know the f type you know and then just the heritage as you say of racing with e types and and all the other stuff going back a long way it's it's fascinating moves that they believe that you know that is let's turn it into an electric only brand it's it's quite a bold move isn't it yeah it is um something i think had to be done i mean jaguar land rover has a lot of vehicles it has a lot of models spread across a lot of different positions because obviously you've got the likes of the the F-Pace, and then you have Range Rovers and Discoveries and Velars and Evoque, and they're all all sort of similar and all playing in that premium SUV space. So there really does need to be something to make these cars different. Mm. And I think saying this is going to be an electric brand and a premium electric brand means that Jaguar can just focus on having something that is high quality, aiming at, at markets where they'll pay the extra money for the Jaguar brand and happy to take electric as well. And I suppose that the wider market thing, you know, it's going to obviously go up against Tesla. It will go up against Polestar, which is a, an all-electric brand as well, isn't it? So there's kind of, yeah. you know, a sense of we're starting to see that you're getting companies that are just saying, all we're going to do is make electric. Yeah, and I think we've also, things have settled down a little bit in the electric car space. People are accepting that having 200 
two, 200 to 300 miles range is the sort of average that's going to be realistic. And I, and I suspect that's what Jaguar are going to be aiming for. 300 miles range now seems to be the, the sweet spot because it's unlikely that you're going to want to go out and drive further than 300 miles in one hit without stopping to, re to recharge your car or have a break because that's a lot of driving. So, yeah, I, I, th I think we've kind of reached mm. a point where we can move forward with this. And a lot of Europe is saying that 2030 is the date they're going to start banning electric car sales. That's certainly the case here in the UK. So so this an announcement aligns with that perfectly, really. It's, it's also interesting to see that Land Rover is making some of those same messages saying that you'll be able to get an electric Land Rover from 2024. Exactly what model that will be, uh, we don't know, but I suspect that it will probably be Range Rover or Discovery. I don't think it will be Defender first. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Obviously, Land Rover, that you know, the sister side of the of the business is you know predominant for probably in historical terms being known as these big diesel tractors, you know, Chelsea tractors, all the kind of stuff to to power it. That has that that range has has undergone quite a change over the last couple of years, moving away from that big discovery kind of focus to sort of more of the Evokes and and the Velars and, and things of this world. Do you think that that transition to electric is going to be an easy one? Well, I think the advantage they have is uh, the amount of money that their customers have, because obviously hmm. they're still high, highly desirable um, and Range Rovers have never been cheap. It's designed to be the sort of best of the best, giving you off-road capabilities and high levels of luxury. If you then slap in a huge battery, and continue all of those features. And if the price goes up a little bit, I suspect that their market, their specific market will be fine. It might be a little bit more difficult for things like the Discovery Sport, which comes in a little bit lower priced. Um, to see that increase in price will probably be difficult for its target market. Uh, but obviously it's a change that's coming and it's a change that's gonna happen. And as they scale up on electrification, all of these things should get more affordable. Yeah, and as you say, it was, so the first announcement is from 2024, the first electric, but they haven't told us which. They then plan to transfer the whole thing over by the end of the decade. It'd be interesting to see which one they go and whether it's a, a top level and then trickles down or whether they try and come in at the low end and trickle it up. Yeah, I suspect it will be electric Range Rover Sport. That would be my guess. Yeah, and I, I suppose because that's not necessarily, you know, you're not having farmers trying to, drag tractors out of the mud and all the other stuff which you obviously need the power to be able to do which electric might not be able to deliver although we have seen rivian and uh the, and obviously the tesla cyber truck or whatever coming which kind of plays in that big yeah. sort of suv space yeah i i don't think i don't think power power will be a problem i mean torque is is one of the big advantages of electric the immediate delivery of torque and the power and control of that and very smooth delivery of that power as well so there are a lot of people who are saying that um, electric works very well for off-road because of the precise control that you can have especially combined with modern four-wheel drive systems individual individual wheel control and stuff driving driving from electric motors should be very very good so i don't think there are any concerns there still to come cam gives us his verdict on the sony alpha a7s3 camera much bigger pixels and but give you just the right amount that you can use for full 4k resolution video uh, but at the same time giving you the power inside that you can shoot it all the way up to 120 frames per second at 4k which is 
quite frankly, astounding. As our homes have gotten smarter, so has the demand for electricity we use to power them. And that's something that is going to only grow in the future, according to most experts. Whether it's getting our energy from renewables, charging an electric car, or just trying to understand what the best time to use that electricity actually is, the days of our fuse box being just that are likely to be numbered. Responsible for strategy and innovation at Snyder Electric is Jay Tampy's job to look at ways the company can answer all the above questions and more. Following the launch of the company's Wiser Energy Center in January, I started by asking him how it works and what it actually does. Well, uh, for sure. So, um, uh, look, if you look at the the way um, the world is evolving for residential space for homes, um, something that we're recognizing is that um, the smart home the way we have known it, the way we have perceived it, uh, is going to change dramatically because the needs of the homes are evolving. Um, the sustainability and efficiency needs are going to become paramount for customers. And uh, what we recognized at Schneider is that uh, a pure smart home play, which is a pure device play, doesn't help it. And we need to bring also the energy element. So Wiser Energy Center is actually the next generation of your electrical panel but it's a fully connected electrical panel. It is modular. It is designed to also take into account your future, um, let's say, energy uh, uh, incomers. So think of solar, think of uh, you know battery, et cetera. And at the same time, also designed for the evolving needs of, uh, of homes of the future. So think of electric vehicles, more electric cooking, heating, et cetera. So uh, basically the energy center is your next generation electrical panel, fully connected, ready for the future. And of course it comes with uh, software and artificial intelligence that will allow you to do things more than just a, a simple electrical panel would do. Now, some a lot of people in the UK especially will have a fuse box in their house, uh, an electric meter outside, and that's about as technical as it gets. How does this, how, you know, this seems like a massive step change from what you've just described there of, of what you're expecting people to suddenly then install and, and, and deal with. How, how does that, it might sound naive, but do people need that? Yeah, no, it's a very good question, Stuart. So look, um, you know, I, I think from a technology point of view, of course, you know, uh, we, we are all really good at uh, making it sound very complicated. But actually, this is a reality today for any customer who is uh, thinking about upgrading the home, installing a residential PV system or, uh, you know, installing an, uh, an EV charger at their home. Um, so today, the challenge is that the reality is uh, this is not one single system. So you have your existing electrical board and you know, you want to install solar, you would have a whole bunch of other, you know, paraphernalia that comes along with it. And then yeah. if you want to install a charge point, you've got something else. And there's a whole bunch of wiring and cabling and drilling, etc. So what we're basically doing is to say, look, here's one single system connected, uh, easy to upgrade. So you don't even have to make your decision of upgrading to solar, etc. right from the get go. But we have enough space for a future upgrade to add your inverter, your smart meter, etc. And uh, as and when you're upgrading, because the customer journey is not decided by us, right? The customer decides when they want to upgrade and what. Mm. And so it's not actually as complicated as the technology may make, uh, you know, it sound like. It's pretty much what customers have at home. We've just made it uh, incredibly simpler and easier. And so sometimes there's a worry when, I know you're talking about easier and simpler here, but sometimes there's a worry that a lot of these smart meter systems, et cetera, provide a lot of data. Mm -hmm. And you then kind of get overloaded by the data. How how do you guys go about giving guidance on what that data means and what the customer can then do with it? 
Uh, now, wonderful. Uh, look, we don't um, overload the customers with all the data. You know, it's just like any other smart system. So there's a lot of data that will be generated by all the devices in the home, as well as from the energy side, and which is in, in Schneider what we call the grid to plug uh, system. So it's connecting the grid side or the energy side, as well as all the plugs and the devices in the home. So there's obviously a lot of data. It could be device data, telemetry data, usage data, et cetera. But we're not going to inundate yeah. customers with that. In our Wiser app, we will give um, the right kind of notifications, the right kind of alerts, the right kind of insights for customers to act on. So, for example, if you're in the UK and you're using a Wiser, uh, you know, Drayton heating system, uh, it can do a whole lot of things. It is collecting, you know, obviously it gets all the data in the home, but um, you, you will get the right kind of insights in terms of consumption how many pounds of pens have you actually you know, consumed? And if you have a room-by-room room system, it'll tell you which room is efficient, which is not. And that's it. So uh, we, we are applying a whole lot of intelligence on top of all the data that is being collected so that it becomes easy and, uh, and actable, right? So it becomes more actionable. So we're basically converting that data, making it more actionable and insightful to the customer. Yeah, because that's a lot, that's one of the problems sometimes with smart is here. You go, wow, I've turned my kettle on; it's incredibly energy inefficient, uh, but I still need a kettle. So, like a lot of the systems don't seem to tell you what to do next. And so, you've taken this system, certainly with the heating side of things, and said, okay, this room is inefficient. That's that's quite an interesting way of of taking it. Do you then give them? Do you then give the the, the owner, the customer, any more guidance upon? you know, what you should do with the fact that it's inefficient? Because it might just be that they're trying to heat a room with, that's a glass house, you know, it's kind yeah. of, you know, they can't do anything with. So how do, how do you go about balancing that, that kind yeah. of act? We could do a few things, and and obviously a bunch of these will come uh, in the future as well, as uh, as you plug into many other data sources as well. But uh, think of something like, uh, let's say you're leaving home uh, to work. So um, our system, if you actually set it to an away mode, as we call it, our system is able to you know smartly turn that off. Similarly, with Wiser, we also have other sensors, for example, you know door sensors, window sensors, etc. So if it's a windy autumn day and uh, you know somebody left the the door open, we can send the notification to customers. So we could do something as simple as that in terms of the interface, or we could go to the next level. If the customer gives the permission to say, okay, manage the temperature, the heating and the cooling, we can also manage how quickly or how slowly the heating is happening. So, you know, instead of heating it all the way up and cranking it up, we could do it over time because we know uh, how long it needs for the room to heat up. So there is various ways in which we can actually manage that efficiency. One of the other things we're also doing, for example, is linking that to weather data. So, uh, for instance, if you've got a solar system or if you know that it's going to be a pretty cool day or, uh, you know, tomorrow, we can take mm. the right kind of action with that. And again, as a consumer, sometimes you're not looking at all these things and we make it easy for them, um, you know, leveraging the power of that data. Now, a lot of people, that's obviously shifting towards sustainability and people like the idea of sustainability and going off grid, whereas you've mentioned with solar and, and, and other forms of, you know, um, heat pumps and things like that. When we also talk about sustainability, we talk about that normally involving cutbacks of some nature. Do you do you think that's the right way to look at it? Yeah, um, and what, what do you mean by cutbacks? Is it in terms of? I think you have to kind of change the way that you know you change the way that you live. You you don't you have to sacrifice something. Uh, well, um, I think it's a uh, so there's few few ways in which we can approach that, right? So obviously. Um, 
we're not encouraging customers to say, look, you know, for the sake of sustainability, you're going to compromise your lifestyle because that's not the objective. Wiser is actually also uh, enhancing the personalization and the comfort levels of the customer. But um, sometimes it's just a matter of giving the right insight and information to the customer. Um, which would allow them to, uh, to, to, to to take the right action, right? So um, I would actually not say that it is really uh, expecting customer to compromise, but more to say with all this information, with all this data based on your usage patterns, et cetera, we have now technologies like AI available to make that smart decision uh, for the customer, inform them, and then allowing them to, uh, to, to adjust it accordingly. So I wouldn't necessarily say there is a lot that customer is going to lose because of uh, how the wiser uh, system is going to behave. And what's what do you think if anybody's listening today and thinks, right, okay, I'm concerned about my energy now all of a sudden. I think there might be a better way to manage it, to use AI, to, you know, go more sustainable, perhaps get solars and all the other stuff. Is there a quickest, like quickest, easiest way to do something in your home today? You know, is it one thing that you you found with all the data that you're gathering that you turn around and go, actually, this is if you just do this, then that will start saving you money, start saving you energy, start saving you lots of things. Yeah, um, so it's a very good point, Stuart. So a couple of things that we've actually observed over with the data is that when your home um, brings an electric vehicle, so typically the electricity consumption goes up about 40%. When your home switches from uh, gas to electric, for example, for heating and cooking, that goes up another 30%. So here are a few of the big energy guzzlers that are right there. So by just managing those, by just managing those loads and perhaps, you know, bringing all of that on a platform like Wiser and giving that control to customer would certainly be one of the first steps. Because typically what customers would think is, you know, lighting is very easy for you to understand, you know, as, as a user, okay, I'm going to switch mm. to energy efficient lighting. But if you add up all that, anyway, you know, most of the lighting these days is LED, so how much would you save, right? Versus something like your uh, cooking or heating, and particularly in the UK where, uh, you know, fossil fuels are going to go away and everything is going to go on electric. Uh, this, these are big ticket items that we could easily help customers. Cool. And how the final question, I suppose, really for you is, is, you know, there's this, there's a growing movement about going off grid and you talk about sort of the ability for, you know, your, your products to kind of help you manage that with solar and all the other stuff. How, just how easy do you believe it is to, to achieve that kind of, you know, shift to other energy forms? Um, I think it's going to be progressively happening. And uh, our job here is to make it simple for customers, that transition. So uh, we, in, uh, in Schneider, we say that we want to make homes of the future smart and sustainable because uh, being sustainable doesn't have to be extremely complicated. And uh, again, the, you know, for instance, if I want to upgrade my home and get uh, solar, for example, it doesn't have to be extremely complicated. Uh, we can make that very simple and easy with uh, Wiser. And that is why uh, Wiser is not just a smart home solution, which is like a typical product play. We bring the energy center, which is upgradable, easily scalable, et cetera, take away a lot of the concerns and the worries from the customer's mind and make it easy for them to go on that upgrade path to sustainability. And that would be our approach to, uh, to making it easy. 
Sony has grown a legion of fans for its growing number of alpha system cameras. Whether it's the ultra compact A6000 series or a full frame A7 series, there's something for everyone. But it's videographers who've turned more towards Sony's mirrorless full frame bodies in recent years, and it's easy to see why when looking at the alpha A7S 3 Spec-wise, this third-generation S model offers some incredible capabilities with particular focus for video and low-light performance. Rather than go all out on a pixel count, the A7S 3 opts for bigger pixels on a quality center, but does that limit the appeal? Well, the good news is, is that Cam Bunton from Pocalint is here to talk about it and is going to tell us more. So, Cam, is it yes. any good? Uh, short answer, yes. Well, there I we mean, go. Thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's my answer every time you ask Yeah, me. I was going to say, that it feels like I've said that before to you as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, it is. I think it was one that um, a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time because the A7S II, I think, came out three, four years ago, maybe even five years ago. I can't no. quite remember. So videographers have been waiting for this uh, camera for a long time before it got announced last year. Um and yeah, it's, it's a very, very good video camera. But again, that comes with the usual cost attached to that. Who's going to buy this and what makes yeah. it special for them? So like like I mentioned, it's it's mostly for video, videographers. So what Sony's done, instead of packing loads and loads of pixels into a sensor, like it does with its uh, A7R series, is they put 12 megapixels on it, but put much bigger pixels, and but give you just the right amount that you can use for full 4k resolution video uh, but at the same time giving you the power inside that you can shoot it all the way up to 120 frames per second at 4k which is quite frankly astounding getting that sort of slow motion video but without having to drop down your resolution uh, to full hd or 720p uh, but again that, that those big pixels on the sensor also mean it's really good for low light so you can crank the the iso or the gain up really high and it doesn't generate a lot of noise on the image so even if you're shooting in really poor conditions you should be able to get a decent uh, image still image as well as decent video quality and where are we likely to see this is this kind of it seems very pro so is it that we'll see this on you know amazing billboard photos or stuff like that or are we likely to see it next time we're allowed to go to a local park or sports day with parents yeah i doubt you'll see many parents buying these this is um it's one of those growing crop of cameras for like professional youtubers i would say is probably who this is aimed at or people who work for film studios and tv studios and want something that will give them that quality high end high bitrate footage but they can take it around with them and shoot just some random bits and pieces on the fly it's that kind of camera i think cool and it sounds like you liked it yeah, what? I mean, I'm the I'm obviously being Pocket Lens video guy. Anything that's really good at video gets me excited, and so it it's got a lot of tools for like um, for inputting audio equipment. You can use a a hot shoe mount if you want to plug in like a full XLR mic if you want to. Comes with two really fast SD card readers. Uh, it can do pretty much anything you want it to, as well as give you loads of extra tools and and data for for color correcting if that's the sort of thing you like to do in the edit afterwards. So it's a really, really thorough machine that can do pretty much anything you'd want a video camera to do. And so what didn't you like about it? 
Where uh, could it? Where pri- could where could the, they get the price to number four? <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to see. I mean, it's a it's a really fantastic camera. I think the the thing the big off putting thing for regular people that would be the price when you look at this and what it can do uh, in comparison to something like maybe the the Panasonic Lumix S5. It's more than twice the price of that. Um, wow. So it, it's not a cheap piece of kit. It's going to cost you nearly £4,000 just for the body. And then if you want great lenses as well, that's going to cost you easily in the thousands as well. So it's not, it's, it's, it's a bit of an investment. I think that's the off-putting part. And so overall verdict? Yeah, very good. Very, very good. I think it's going to have a lot of people wanting this who in, in that sort of niche professional, semi-professional amateur video market, I think there's going to be a lot of people who want this camera. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip hip. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.